This is the Block Hash Podcast. All right. Well, it's nice to meet you, man. Thanks for coming on. How have you been? Uh, pretty good. Nice, nice. And uh, that's right. Right. What was um? What was your major specifically? Uh, I studied psychology, uh, but I'm I mostly just uh learned a lot of other stuff on my own, and and psychology is like a relatively more easy major just to get through college nice were were you in a neuro field oh yeah that's something saying something like that on facebook oh yeah i i i have taken a few neuro classes and uh published some neuro papers but uh most of my major just says psychology yeah (laughs) very cool no that's awesome i got my uh major in uh, neuroscience when I graduated in 2017. Um, oh, nice. Um, yeah, psych, those psych classes were definitely some of my favorite classes that I took um, at Pitzer, and I took a few of them at Scripps as well. Hmm. Were you able to take classes at the other colleges, or were you taking most of them at Pitzer? Oh, no, yeah. I, I took a few classes at Scripps and everywhere. Maybe the least in mud because uh trying to avoid uh too much work <laughs> yeah no 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 totally i understand that it, it uh some of the other classes some of the other campuses they definitely load you up on on mm-hmm. school work and everything at least right. compared to pitzer um yeah and keck definitely was not easy to get through okay so i had a couple questions in terms of crypto cuz you seem to have a bit of an interest in it, um, just like I do. And you're a smart yeah, kid. Nice. You have a just graduated with your psych degree and everything, and um, seem to have a pretty cool background. Is do you notice anyone in terms of like the students or even professors that are talking about blockchain as a technology on the campuses or uh, or utilize it at all. Cause I know when I graduated back in 2017, that really wasn't a talk. It was kind of like one of those fringe technologies that was developing still. Um, and then after 17, it all kind of started to blow up a little bit. So I'm kind of curious if it has a stronger sentiment on campus now, or if anyone really talks about it or if there just isn't a lot going on. Yeah. So definitely. Um, well, I, I think the hype, already died down a bit but still there's uh there's some of those like monthly weekly meetings for the claremont blockchain group is that what they call it uh oh, yeah do, do they I, have I a there's... facebook group or do they have a club yeah, yeah they have a club i think yeah oh, okay so and well that few, wasn't few there when i was there that's go good only a few people go yeah but but also uh I started participating later, so I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure when uh, Bitcoin was at like 15,000, <laughs> there was many more people than right now. Right. I can see why people would kind of lose interest a little bit. I mean, that's kind of happened to most people um, mm-hmm. after the run-up. I mean, I even had my dentist asking me about how to buy Bitcoin at one point. <laughs> that, that's how popular wow. it was um, right. when I got out of college. And then yeah, obviously it died down and everything when the market 
crashed 90 percent and kind of came back to prices pre-17 or pre-18 but yeah that's that's interesting you don't have any students really walking around talking about it other than a club or two it's interesting well i think most of them actually heard of it some of them might not know it very well but few of them actually uh like like i can tell them like bitcoin ethereum and they 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 say they heard of it and these people are not they're not even in science but right i i don't think they're much like very up to date but uh, i I wouldn't imagine all of them have heard of it after the right the the boom yeah yeah i wouldn't imagine that they'd be too up to date i mean pitzer mostly focuses on the humanities um right and, and more liberal art uh type education so do most of the other colleges i mean harvey mudd's kind of the exception um and keck and cie at cmc for the most part uh tech isn't or wasn't at least a big thing at the claremont colleges when i was there um it might have started changing a little bit though i hope it does hey i i, I do know there's a few harvey mudd students that's uh going into the space after they graduate so yeah, and smart. Yeah, and they're pretty smart coders. That's they're, smart. They're, yeah, yeah I, I think blockchain, um, last time I checked, uh, developer or engineer jobs um, for blockchain are the fastest growing jobs in the US. Um, and they're also the highest paid job in the software sector. You could start at like $120,000, $150,000 on your first job if you have experience in this field. Um, I'm just surprised more people aren't jumping on that bandwagon, but I mean, it does kind of entail a ton of coding and a lot of tedious work to understand those skills. And there's certainly a lot of people with them out there. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. I, I I think that the colleges would push it more um, and encourage more people to get into coding computer science more specifically, because there's just so much demand for it. Right. I also remember, uh, like in 2018, there's uh, quite a few students that mined on campus, but later on uh, got out. <laughs> oh, were they mining? Uh, yeah, they were. Uh, I I know one uh one friend of mine. He he was telling me how he had ten uh he had six 1080 Ti's to mine Bitcoin, uh while the prices were quite high. And then that's smart. <laughs> and then he got out of it later because it, it started getting into the. Uh, a, a point where the, the profit is not as attractive. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I think if you're a student and it's kind of funny because obviously most students are pinching pennies trying to pay for tuition and room and board and things like that. Um, so it's a little difficult to get your hands on good mining equipment, let alone GPUs because sometimes it can be pretty expensive. Um, but in college, you don't pay electricity bill. And a lot of these miners nowadays, they're actually really efficient and they don't use a lot of electricity, like very, very right. low electricity usage. And they're fairly safe to run. Um, even in your dorm room, uh, they don't heat up more than a normal gaming computer. Right. Um, so it, I'm curious that students don't really jump on board be, with that more. I've seen some of it definitely back in 2017. I know a lot of people were kind of doing that on campus, but none of the colleges really did anything. So they didn't really understand it. They just compared it to like gaming and whatnot. 
um, until obviously their power bills probably started surging. <laughs> but for a student, right. it's kind of lucrative because they don't have to pay for the electricity. Um, and some of these miners are pretty cheap. So, I mean, if they do the math, they could probably it'd take them a little bit time to pay it off, but they could easily run them without having any other overhead. Mm-hmm. So I'm almost surprised that some of these colleges haven't kind of jumped on that bandwagon either, but I think it's just a knowledge gap. Uh, in, in, I, I do remember, uh, in the Facebook group for the, uh, cryptocurrency, Claremont cryptocurrency chat, I remember there was, uh, also way more people, uh, back in earlier 2018, uh, participating in conversations. And now it's, uh, it seems like no one have posted for like a month or two now. So it, it seems like the sentiment has kind of come to the bottom. Yeah, we definitely had a, quite a bubble that popped. Um, but I mean, with that, there's, that brings a lot of opportunity too for people that want to jump into it and get ahead of it while it's still developing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which is obviously what I'm trying to do with my company right now. And mm-hmm. um, I'm sure some students on campus are trying to hold out with that because they know that it's going to come back at some point. There'll probably be a larger presence of that on campus. Um to me, it, I, I draw a lot of comparisons to um, to Venmo uh, for some some obvious reasons. Do you guys still use Venmo quite often on campus, or did you? Oh yeah, I, yeah. People do use Venmo on campus quite often. Yeah, when when I was there between 2013 2017, um, Venmo really took off on college campuses as well as a number of other apps, um, but as easy it is for people to use cash to pay for all kinds of discriminatory uh, things on campus. Um, we don't need to bring up. <laughs> um, they um, migrated to Venmo pretty quickly because they didn't want to go to the banks to pull out cash to, to pay for stuff they probably shouldn't be doing necessarily. Right. Um, so it was kind of interesting that they made that transition so easily. Um, but it also kind of played into their favor because most students can't go to the bank because they can't drive there or, um, they are pinching pennies and they have family sending them money or helping support some of what they're Mm -hmm. doing. So Venmo definitely caught on pretty quickly. And I've been working with a company a little bit called uh, constant and they have their own crypto. Um, and it works very similar to Venmo. Um, the difference is you don't have the same restrictions that you do through like Venmo and PayPal in terms of payment transfers. So if you had family overseas, like in, uh, China or over in Europe or Latin America, wherever you're from, and you're an exchange student, you'd be able to get money to, uh, your son or daughter who's studying as a foreign exchange student. Um, and that's definitely an area that they were looking at. And they function just like Venmo, and you can link it to a bank account, and you can hold in U.S. dollars if you choose. Um, so I, that's something that might start creeping onto some of these college campuses in the next few years, um, in the same mm-hmm. way Venmo did, or at least in my opinion. It, it's sort of like in the remittance field, right? Yeah, I think the student uh, section is definitely a huge market for international payments especially if like say oh your son or daughter is sick overseas and 
yeah, you, you, you can't go to a, a bank and then expect your money to be there within like uh, a day, right? So the, the, like services like right. this definitely would take off, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it does solve a lot of problems. And then students generally, at least from my experience, have um, a first mover advantage for a lot of tech. I know a lot of a lot of apps, a lot of websites, um, payment channels like Venmo have been brought to students first because students are generally early adopters. And when they adopt stuff, um, usually other platforms can take off pretty quickly. Um, hmm. And they're all concentrated in one place studying, so it's easy to target them. So I've, I've definitely seen colleges and students in general um, being target markets for a lot of these blockchain projects as they develop a bit more um, and mature in the future. Um, you probably start seeing stuff like Venmo, stuff for gaming and things like that. Did you... Um, did you check out OpenSea, by, by the way? OpenSea? Yeah, sure. Uh, the, um, I, remember, I think I sent it to you. You were asking yeah, a question yeah. about dApps, right? Oh, yeah. Like uh, online collectibles, digital collectibles, right? Yeah. So, yeah, digital assets have definitely grown a ton, but they've kind of flown, flown under the radar um, in the eye of the public for quite a while. Um mm-hmm really cool marketplace is OpenSea.io because it kind of aggregates and pulls everything together in terms of digital assets for all these different um, DAP platforms that are out there right now, like Decentraland, which I'm sure you've heard of, um, Mm -hmm. CryptoVoxels, CryptoKitties, Ethereumon, you name it. It's all all kinds of stuff. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah, It's surprising to me. uh, Decentralized haven't fully launched yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and there's still there. There's already quite a big market to it. Yeah, it, it's it is pretty cool to see how it it's already kind of here, and it's already starting to gain some traction within the niche, and that it is it's usable and it's viable, and that you can do all these things they're talking about today if you wanted to um, go there as a use it as a marketplace to buy art, for example. You can do that right now. You can do it instantly. And it works pretty well. You can you can go and you can build in um, virtual landscapes like um, crypto voxels. Eventually, you'll be able to do it on Decentraland. It's cool seeing mm-hmm. that stuff kind of come to the forefront a little bit. And I, I'm right. sure that that'll pick up on the students too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder when VR starts taking off more. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing you'll see a lot more of it in 2019, especially as um these games, these online games just keep taking off. Are are you into that kind of stuff? Do you follow like Fortnite and like I think it's called Apex and Oh yeah, I've definitely heard of them, although I haven't played them yet. Uh, I've seen yeah, my friends I, play them. Yeah, oh, I, I have to admit them. that I have not played any of them at all, but I do know they're very popular. <laughs> right. But, um, are you familiar with um, with VR, with virtual reality, in terms of kind of what's going on in the space? Oh, uh, not not extremely. Uh, I've only read like the the biggest headlines. Okay. Have you heard of um, Oculus Quest yet? Oh yeah, uh, it's the device, right? Yeah, it's uh, Oculus's uh, third device, I think. Fourth device. 
they had the the Oculus Rift that came out like I think like two years ago. They gave you like full six degrees of freedom where you can look all around and you can move forward and backward. And then they came out with the Oculus Go um, that only had four degrees of freedom, um, but it was a standalone headset that wasn't attached to a PC. Mm-hmm. And then the Oculus Quest is supposed to be the first headset that is cordless, standalone, not attached to a PC, but gives you full six degrees of freedom. So like a true VR headset. So. Mm. I'm kind of speculating on the idea that something like that could really be a trigger to get people into VR or into gaming. And when that starts happening, they're going to start diving into, in my opinion, some of these decentralized apps um, that offer that kind of stuff in VR uh, that make it really easy to interact, build, um, and and virtual environments. I I remember my roommate got a got one and uh, but I'm not sure if it's I'm not sure which one of the three products he got. Yeah, he might have gotten the Go. I know that one's pretty popular. I have that one laying around somewhere. I see. I I do remember the uh the, when I tried it there there was a a, a very there, there was like a very minor lag about like say 100 200 milliseconds that right. if you use for, for like a quite long time like say in one afternoon you'd come out pretty dizzy dizzy right uh, so i was wondering how, how if they were so solving some of the these problems you know i hope they are because i've had that same issue still too um more so with the the lagging i think it's just bottleneck and bandwidth but a lot of that'll change once 5g launches um because it's it's going to be built for the iot and uh for smart devices and for connecting technology because 4g was built to optimize a smartphone um but now that we have so many devices laying around our homes and our our dorm rooms and our offices, um, everything is completely connected to everything nowadays and is growing exponentially like that. Right. Um, and how we use our digital lives and um, integrate with technology, we need new foundation uh, for the internet. And that's that's kind of where 5G comes in and is going to make things super, super efficient. If I remember correctly, like a two and a half hour video downloading over 4G takes like um, anywhere between like four minutes, six minutes, something like that. But with 5G, supposedly uh, like a two and a half hour video, if you were downloading it, would take like six seconds, which is an insane amount of speed. Um, but it makes a lot of sense for um, connecting all this technology, especially VR and IoT and Alexa and all these things. But in ter- yeah, in terms of what you're saying with the um, with the lagging with the VR and stuff, I I notice that a lot with the the Go, and usually when I fix my internet connection or I, I get higher bandwidth that I can use, it usually improves it. But I I think it's really early technology because every time I go in, it just I, I feel like they get overloaded on their server or something like I, I don't know all the details and it's not really my, 
my background, but I, I do know that they just got so much traffic that's starting to increase in VR. I mean, they're, they're doubling year over year in their user base and um, they seem to have right. a lot of issues crop up in their, uh, their games and whatnot. I've noticed like a number of times when people jump in to play Cards Against Humanity and you get like 14 people playing at the same time and 30 people trying to jump into the same room and then everything like freezes up and everything just starts going crazy and you just <laughs> technology right. so early they haven't worked out all the kinks yet right it doesn't help that facebook has been down all day too so oh, it doesn't, oh yeah it doesn't make I, me I very optimistic right I, I didn't really see your message earlier today that, that sounds yeah i oh you're fine i figure that you weren't going to see it anyways but i sent it just in case because um i couldn't log into facebook and i couldn't log into instagram so i couldn't connect with anybody today um there's a bunch of people that i was just trying to call and trying to reschedule and trying to do stuff at the bank at the same time and it's it's a little annoying but it's also a little scary too when you start realizing how connected everyone is to these social networks and that when they go down, even for a few hours, it kind of screws up your whole schedule. Oh yeah, definitely. You don't really think about it every day, but dang, it really um, <laughs> has an effect. Right. Yeah. We, if the internet went down, we would be uh, wondering what to do, right? Yeah. If the internet went down, that wouldn't be good. That's a little harder to do, but that can happen and be scary right have you heard oh, of I, those oh go ahead go ahead oh i was I, I just remembered uh i think it was france right who they they released their, their government released a report talking about cryptocurrencies and how they wanted to uh kind of ban uh monero zcash from, yeah i saw uh, that Right. And recently, a state in the U.S. also said something along the same lines. Like, Yeah, I, I think I, I saw that one, too. I don't remember what state it was. Um, oh, it was Texas. Oh, right. I saw okay. that this morning. Yeah, right. there's yeah, there's some talk yeah. in terms of, um, at least with France and with Texas, on whether or not having a private blockchain or a um, anonymous way to send payments is something that's legal in the eyes of state law or federal law or um, French law or wherever it's being talked about. I know that was kind of the basis of what they were getting after and they're talking about send Zcash, they're talking about Monero. Um, and it's kind of from the perspective that um, it's being used for illegal purposes. And yeah, some of the traffic is being used for illegal purposes. Um, but I mean, do you fault the entire network because certain users are using it for illegal purposes? Do we fault the US dollar for certain people using it for illegal purposes? I don't know. I think right. that's up for debate. Mm -hmm. Right. I remember in the early days of the internet, they, they faulted the internet for... Uh, say malware and like scams and uh whatever bad content on un unregulated content right <laughs> yep yep they said the same thing about the internet the internet actually was originally a 
DARPA project. It was a government project. Um, it wasn't developed open source like blockchain was developed. Um, so when the internet went public and a lot of people didn't really understand how the internet worked, they wanted to blame the internet for potential terrorist use cases or money laundering or illegal activities. Um, and it's funny, you can draw quite a lot of parallels to, to blockchain and crypto. Um, they say the same thing about blockchain and crypto all the time, but I mean, step back and take a look at it. I mean, what's the difference? It's just a really early technology that no one understands. Right. I, th I, th I think, uh, a lot of people kind of, uh, underestimate what a technology does in the long term especially in my opinion i think that that has to do with a lack of education um i'm what i'm curious on is whether that's more so a lack of education in the marketplace um, for consumers or merchants or whatever it may be around technology or if it's a lack of education in the school system there's definitely not a lot of education on on uh, the newer technologies, right? Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, it it could be that. Also, I was thinking, maybe it's like say, everyone got really hyped over the internet in like nineteen ninety nine, uh, like in the dot com uh, bubble, right? And yeah. they were. I I do think some of them do that re realize uh like what it's gonna bring, like say. Oh, I can buy groceries over the internet, you know, one day, and but but later, uh, when the space kind of uh bubbled, like after the bubble, people were much more less optimistic. So I think uh something similar may happen to cryptocurrencies, where uh everyone in twenty seventeen was like uh, end of end of twenty seventeen when the bull run was uh euphoric, <laughs> everyone was like. Oh yeah, this is gonna change how finance works and everything, right? Right. But it, yeah, I, I I do think um, cryptocurrency is gonna like do so many great things, like distributed ledger technologies and all this stuff, right? But but now the sen the sentiment has come. I, th I think it's coming to a bottom around like where internet is in two thousand and two. Do you think we've hit that point yet? I'm kind of spe uh, skeptical on whether or not we've. We've actually hit a real low before, um, yet at least. I know that we've gone through a couple, um, a couple bubbles popping in the crypto market in the last ten years, for sure. Especially the last one. Um, but I mean, if you look at the numbers, the last market run up and crash between seventeen and eighteen um, is really actually not the biggest market crash we've had in the market. Um, and not even the biggest crash in Bitcoin, if you, if you just look at it from a percentage basis. So right. it's yeah. kind of got to wonder, are these just super volatile and is this going to continue happening for a while? Or are we not to the point where we've actually hit a mass adoption level and maybe what could be considered the real crypto bubble when it happens? Because with the internet, at least it was, um, it really hit the masses and it really affected the masses and it really affected the economy. Um, crypto really blew up within itself. It didn't really have a reverberating effect on the economy. It did a little bit, but 
not on the masses in general. And I feel like we just haven't yet got to the point of adoption um, Mm -hmm. where we would see that same kind of bubble, which is in a way exciting and a way scary at the same time. Because if you're talking about that kind of that level of mass adoption, you're talking about that a a crazy market cap um, dollar amount that it would eventually reach before it pops at least one more time. Because at some point, a lot of these cryptocurrencies, they're going to disappear. We're still oversaturated and there's thousands of them. Um, We haven't flushed them out yet. Um, A lot of these cryptos haven't stabilized. There's a lot of speculation on whether or not Bitcoin was built to be worth a million dollars because at a million dollars, a single Satoshi, which is the lowest denomination for Bitcoin, would be on par with the US penny. And if that was the case, you'd have 30 or 20, 30 trillion dollars in liquidity in Bitcoin, something like that. So I don't know that there's a there's a good argument to say that we haven't seen the real bubble yet. At the same time, I mean, we could just keep having these micro bubbles for a while or I, I think it's just so wide open. Right, yeah, I, I think you bring a good point. Sorry, my dog's barking. Uh, you, you do bring a good point where uh, it didn't affect the economy as much, right? And I totally agree. I was, yeah, I, I think I was thinking more of a, uh, how it affected socially because it, it did seem it almost reached the same amount of social effects where everyone started talking about, oh, should I buy these dot-com stocks or should I go buy Bitcoin, right? Uh, but I, I guess you're right about the the actual numbers because the actual money poured into dot com was ex, uh, still way more than Bitcoin, right? JP Morgan released a yep. statement where they they estimated two billion went into the bubble in 2017, which is uh, quite little. Yeah, I, two, two billion was right. Bitcoin, right? I. Th- um, I actually am not sure. I don't remember the numbers, so I don't want to say anything that isn't accurate. But I do know that I, a lot of money went into Bitcoin for sure. Um, right. But I mean, yeah, there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn right now in terms of the market. And um, at least with JP Morgan, it's they've never been a real proponent of crypto unless it's something that is more of a legacy type crypto, something that's centralized or something that's controlled by a company or by a government. Um, and they've had very skeptical skepticism, <laughs> in my opinion, on the entire market. And uh, JP Diamond isn't very fond of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. at least um, to the public and what he said. So it, I'm very careful what I take away from JP Morgan because they're also at the center of um, the big banks and in the US and their influence on the markets and whatnot. So I'm very careful taking their opinion on uh, the finances of crypto. So it kind of isn't really their area. But I do like to follow the developers, in my opinion, um, a lot closer than I follow some of these finance guys. Um, because they have a better idea of how these blockchains really work. And some of them are pretty different when you compare two and two or one and one. Um, right. Like um, to obviously take Vitalik Buterin, for example, or Charles Hoskinson or Dan Larimer, some very, very smart guys working in the um, blockchain industry and leading 
development teams and projects and they seem to have a better understanding of how these blockchains are developing and where they're going and what the long-term goal is. Um, so I try and look at it finances aside and look at it as just a technology. Cause I mean, I think we all know that technology doesn't stop evolving over time and blockchain will continue evolving over time, um, getting better and better. And obviously with that will come value. Um, I think the only big question is, is when does that start happening? So I think the only way to gauge that is to kind of pay more attention to what these developers are saying and less attention to what these finance guys are saying. Interesting. Yeah. I, th I think guys like JP Morgan, they, they like to feel all the FUD and FOMO and they're just kind of playing the markets. I don't know if they really care too much. Right. And they recently released their own token. Right. Yep. They released their own stablecoin tied to the U.S. dollar, just like many other people have done, just jumping on the bandwagon. I don't see them making a very big splash in the crypto space with that. I know they got a lot of headlines for it, though. Mm hmm. Well, I, they're, I, I think they said they're doing internal use only or something like that. So, yeah, I right. think they wanted it, it would to probably be... not affect us. I'll need to double check, but I think it was meant to be like a privacy or not privacy, excuse me, but a private blockchain, um, not right. a public one, not a public ledger um, that they could use um, within JP Morgan. And then for companies that work with their bank, um, I'm not sure. I don't know what the details are, but I know that they want to do something on the private level for blockchain, which a lot of companies are doing. I know IBM's looking at that really seriously. I think Facebook also announced oh, yeah. one too, that. right? Do you see that? Oh, yeah. I, I was really interested uh, about it because they said they are pegged to multiple fiat, right? So it's a stable coin. They said had euro, dollar, and uh, all these fiat pegged to it. Right. They're not the first one to do that and try and integrate it. Cause I, I saw they were trying to integrate it with their messaging app, similar to what um kick did you know kick messenger uh, yeah i've heard of it yeah i don't i don't use it at all um definitely not helping endorse them right now <laughs> um but um yeah they have a, a native coin for payments on their platform and i think a couple others i think telegram has looked at it too um so it's not really new for someone to want to integrate that with a a messaging platform, uh, in this case, Facebook with Messenger. But I do notice quite a few people like to pay with Facebook Messenger because um, it links directly to PayPal. And a lot of people use Facebook Marketplace, which has gotten, at least in my area, very popular. Um, it's kind of like the new Craigslist. Um, right, right. Yeah. So I... I can see why they would want to create a, a crypto kind of based around their messaging app. It might make things more efficient for them. Um, so I'm, I'm cool with it. If it works out, I'm kind of curious to see what else they do with it. Cause I know that they've had some, some people working on this stuff privately. They haven't been very public about what they're doing. Um, but with Facebook getting into VR and everything and really trying to push the envelope on tech, uh, we'll probably see a lot more crypto and blockchain stuff out of them in the future.
Right, didn't Facebook say uh they're they want to push it out in first half of twenty nineteen? Yeah. So it's going to be pretty soon if that's the case. Yeah, I yeah, they said they came out not too long ago talking about it and they had a pretty um ambitious timeline for getting it launched. Um so I think we'll probably see it really soon. It's not like crazy difficult technology they're not like building ai or anything (laughs) but i mean it is an integration thing and you got to make sure you're abiding by all the the right laws because that's a very big company they'll be handling handling a lot of money um you gotta make sure it's secure um i'm curious if they're building it on another blockchain like ethereum or if they're doing their own blockchain that's something i haven't looked at yet Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I have no clue. I wonder how that would compete with like, uh, Swift PayPal and stuff because it seems like uh, the fact that they're pegging multiple fiat as like, uh, anyone in the world can uh sort of pay another person and it doesn't matter where they're from, right? Right. It. it I. Yeah. I think they're trying to do something similar to PayPal. I, I wonder how that would affect. Uh, the, the payment business. Right. Um, the, the issue with PayPal, I mean, once you get PayPal rolling and you start using it often, it's pretty, it, I don't usually have issues with it, but I have in the past and I know people that have, and they create hurdles for you sometimes to move your money and they'll hold your money or they might restrict you. And I mean, that's, that's not fun. No one likes that stuff. So obviously there's a, a big push for crypto in terms of remittance, uh, especially internationally. Um, I don't know if Facebook's goal is to create that into an international solution. Cause I know that Facebook is worldwide and they have a lot of people on their, on their platform and on Instagram. It'd be interesting to see if they integrate that with Instagram at some point. Um, right. And Twitter yeah. is, jumped on at full speed too they've um jack dorsey's been very optimistic about crypto um and doing something on their platform oh yeah um and their cash app yeah, he, didn't he say he buys ten thousand dollars of bitcoin weekly yeah i think he alluded to it he's a very cryptic kind of talker i mean he's he's a very smart guy um and i love listening to him when he hops on podcasts or he's on YouTube or TV or whatever he's doing an event or he's speaking. He, right. I love listening to yeah. the guys. Awesome. But he's also very cryptic. So when someone asks him a question, he's very good at dodging it or answering it in a way that kind of like leaves you a little confused a little bit more so before the question. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, he did kind of allude to that. He, he mentioned that he bought 10,000 in Bitcoin with the cash app and then he like, kind of alluded to doing that like on a weekly basis and and then you start thinking well has he been doing this for a while has he has he dumped bitcoin in the past uh what what's his involvement because obviously he's a pretty big proponent of it right now so mm-hmm. it's interesting. Yeah, it seems to mm-hmm. yeah I, I was wondering uh like uh the social media platforms like twitter facebook integrating uh their own uh, tokens, uh, not Twitter. Twitter's uh, using Bitcoin, but yeah, like the, just these platforms start uh, using these digital currencies, and that I'm wondering how that's going to 
affects people's uh, sentiment on cryptocurrency, right? Because still, I think most normal people are very concerned about like volatility or like uh, sending, even just sending cryptocurrency between their own wallets right. because uh, it still scares them about, oh, is this going to actually work or is this a right address? You know, and I, it's a, it's a really good question because I think that's probably one of the, if not the biggest question in crypto right now. Is this going to go centralized or is this going to be incredibly disruptive and stay decentralized? Um, and if you just, if you look at the history of crypto and you say Bitcoin was the first one to ever come out and in terms of a decentralized network that is built for payments, um, that solves the Byzantine generals problem, Bitcoin solved a lot of problems that we have in payments today that really irritate people. And at the same time, it was born out of the recession in 2008 and 2009 um, when people were upset and people were mad. Um, they were obviously trying to find a way to uh, e either get involved with something or get back at the government or to shun the banking system, which really screwed a lot of people over. And Bitcoin was born in that mess to kind of be a solution. And with that sentiment, Bitcoin has carried that in a symbolic way and has grown over the last 10 years insanely in value because people that buy Bitcoin generally believe in what symbolically what Bitcoin stands for. And Bitcoin stands for all of that. Bitcoin stands for anti-government, individual sovereignty, um, anti-banking, anti-centralization, uh, freedom and power for the individual, um, bringing mm -hmm. power back to the people, bringing value back to the people. And at the same time, and while there are other blockchains that definitely have the same values, there are a lot of them that don't have the same values. There are a lot of them that are using the blockchain um, as a capitalistic agenda or as a business agenda, like Ripple, for example. And Ripple has done incredibly well and is a favorite of the banking system right now and will very likely replace the SWIFT system. Um, they've had serious talks about this. The IMF has talked about this in great detail. Um, a lot of the banks are testing XRAPID um, to see how they can integrate it. Um, eventually, they'll probably switch over from SWIFT to XRAPID or another product that Ripple presents for them. And I think the question is, is are projects like Ripple bad or do they just offer another solution for a different problem, a centralized problem? And then other projects like Bitcoin solve a different problem and balance each other out. I think that's the big question here. Right. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people um, hate on Ripple, but I think uh, what they're trying to do is uh, like quite unaffiliated with what Bitcoin's doing. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think... Um, uh, as centralized as the XRP wealth is, right? They they hold like a half of all XRP or something. Um, I I do think Ripple is doing amazing things. Uh, they're pushing regulations pretty hard. Uh, I think they're what they're doing with uh, is uh, quite beneficial for every 
cryptocurrency out there. Right. And in my personal opinion, I believe that the world has two mediums, a public medium and a private medium. I mean, obviously, in your everyday life, you have things that you do publicly, socially with your friends and whatnot. And then you have things that are private that are for you, that are for maybe your family that you don't necessarily put out there on the internet or on social media. And the same, in my opinion, applies to blockchain. I think there's a lot of use cases um, for both a centralized and decentralized platform. Um, And for that reason, I think Ripple can offer a lot of good in terms of making the economy and business more efficient, faster, cheaper. Um, In a way, it might keep banks more honest. In a way, it might make governments more efficient if we if governments persist in the future um (laughs) who knows who knows uh that's the interesting interestingly scary thing about blockchain is um it can do more than just transfer value you can record anything on the blockchain which means you can create smart contracts and with those smart contracts you can create things called decentralized organizations or decentralized treasuries or decentralized governments. And that opens up Pandora's box to all kinds of libertarian values, anti-government values, anarchist values. So where that will go in the future, I have no idea, but it does kind of present some interesting talking points. Hmm, Yeah, I I really liked what you said earlier about uh, how uh, there's going to be... uh, use cases for like decentralized and centralized uh uh blockchains right like you're saying how a ripple was gonna will be a part of this and bitcoin is going to be a part of the the, the other side yeah I, I think that's a very interesting uh thought uh, i've never uh thought about it like that right i i think there are three possible outcomes i tend to favor the middle outcome, the balanced outcome, just because I don't really know what's going to happen. And both are kind of radical. We're in a world that's very corrupt with governments that are um, very corrupt with banking systems that are very corrupt and corporations that are in a lot of ways, very corrupt. Um, A lot of people are getting um, thrown in the ditch, um, disregarded, not looked after governments are no longer for the people in a lot of ways and i think there's an argument to say that you could have blockchains all go centralized you could see blockchains only exist on a centralized medium at least for the masses it's very likely that happens Um, it's also very likely that chaos continues brewing and we see decentralization takeover we see people use blockchain as a weapon to fight back against centralized authority in all different aspects whether whether it's a company or a banking system or a government or um the general world order who knows I, i think there's a lot of possibilities for that too both are very radical though um given what blockchain is capable of so i tend to favor the balanced approach that both will exist and both will be very popular. Um, 
I'm more of a proponent of the technology itself. I think the technology, because it offers both sides, um, it's going to do very, very well. And right. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think it makes sense. Right. Uh, Yeah. I can imagine in the future where like, say you're using this bank because, uh, what they're doing is transparency on the XRP ledger, right? Like I can literally see they're laundering money or not between like which addresses, right? I think that's a, that's a very good point uh, that you're talking about where, yeah, these public ledgers are just going to prevent money laundering, right? Right. Um, and for a lot of reasons, there's, there's good things about, centralization there's and there's bad things about centralization i mean if you look at today with facebook and instagram going down um if we use a social media network something like steemit for example or something that was built on the blockchain we would never have a down day we'd never have an issue like that in fact you would actually make more money advertisers would make more money companies would make more money and get more targeted influence if it was on a blockchain and at the same time, you'd never have a down day. You'd never have a day where, um, Facebook, like Facebook is having issues today. You just wouldn't see that. So I think, and that's it. That's just one example. I mean, you've had outages with visa before where you can't use your, your credit or debit card, um, because visa goes down, its network goes down. Um, or you have things that are not loosely tied to technology, like um, what happened with some of the uh, Ivy League schools. Did you see that? Where there was like millions of dollars paid to, to get students into these Ivy League schools. It's been on the news for a while. Hmm. But, and, and a lot of these big big schools, these Ivy League schools that we all idolize and we all work hard to get into, somewhere there's a back door for somebody and there's corruption. Um, and as a centralized institution for education, it's not necessarily perfect. So there is definitely an argument to go against centralization. And that's kind of where Bitcoin was born out of. But in the end, in my opinion, there's going to be a balance between the two. Yeah, I think that makes uh, most sense to me because uh, if there's always another side that's preparing for a corrupt world, then they're m- maybe they're less likely to do it. You know? Right. I I think there's so many factors. It's really gonna kind of come down to what starts happening over the next few years as blockchain really starts developing products and services. Um, what is the sentiment like? Are we going to have issues continue in Venezuela and Argentina? Are we going to continue having proxy wars and trade wars and all this stuff? Is that going to affect how people see centralized power? Are they going to move more to crypto? Is this stuff going to mellow out? I think there's it's an interesting time right now um, where sentiment is really going to drive adoption one way or another right yeah i agree have you done any research into proof of stake uh yes i I know how it works but uh not on like an extremely technical level right um it 
it is a little difficult on a technical level too, but um, in general, um, compared to proof of work, where proof of work you use computing power um, to compete for spots on a block and that validates the blockchain, you get rewarded that way. Proof of stake is supposed to be better and more efficient. And at the same time, um, proof of stake favors the largest bag holder. So if you have, if if you're staking with Cardano, for example, because Cardano is coming out with their Shelly update soon, and you'll be able to stake and that'll probably drive a lot of people into Cardano. Um, But if you have an extremely large bag of ADA and you stake it on Cardano's blockchain, and you have a bigger stake than everyone else because you you simply have more money, you, you're probably going to earn a lot more money. Well, you will earn a lot more money because you'll be validating and signing the transactions on the blockchain. And right. I think there's some arguments to say that maybe that's not fair for some people because obviously there's um, gaps in, right. in uh, finance for everybody. But at the same time, it is a blockchain um, validation solution that will solve a lot of problems. So I'm kind of curious from your perspective as a student, um, what, what do you right. think in your opinion? Because it, there hasn't been like a really good use case yet. Um, so there isn't a way to say that it's right or wrong or that it'll even work necessarily. But um, I'm just curious <clears throat> right. based on what what you think from your perspective I, th- I think proof of stake is okay i mean i i can't afford um to stake most of these tokens because due, due to the <laughs> financial gap but right yeah um, i i think there is like few levels to it where i think uh like say there there's three main uh ways to approve transactions in the blockchains right we have the proof of work proof of stake and i think uh, Ripple and uh, Loom, Stellar Lumens is using consensus where it, it gets more and more centralized every step you go, but it also gets uh, it uses less and less power. So I, th- I think it's just a a, a choice, I guess. Right. I think proof of work uh, cannot work on most coins actually because if you have a lot of tokens and proof of work, then one of them is going to be like the biggest, right? The, the Bitcoin. And then we have like some of the way smaller coins, like in like rank 500, rank 300, like they can easily be 51% attacked, right? True. So very true. I don't think, yeah, I don't think proof of work can work for many coins. It, I think it would work for the bigger coins, right? right. And the, the more established ones. And right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can see how proof of stake could work, but it's kind of like rich getting richer. So, well, could you also um, say the same thing about proof of work? Because it does take a lot of money to set up an efficient mining rig, thousands of dollars in a lot of cases, um, just to make a little bit of money, just a little bit of ROI. So, I think there's a big, um, actually, I think there's, it's, it might be a little harder for people to get into proof of work than it would be proof of stake. I mean, if if you, the argument being that if you spent thousands of dollars on computer equipment 
and spent a lot of time trying to figure it out and learning how to use it and set it up. And, and then you get capped on how much you're going to end up making because everyone's doing the same thing. And then it becomes a, a game of throwing your money away if you aren't skilled at it. And right. you could, in that same argument, apply to proof of stake. The only difference is the technical side. It's not very technical to, to stake your coins um, right. on a blockchain as it is using proof of work. So I guess you could make the argument that the same barrier to entry price-wise also exists in proof of work, but I think that'll come right. down to what the the rewards are and the, the block times and stuff like that. So obviously, those vary. Right. Yeah. I guess that that makes sense, right? Yeah. So it might just depend on your perspective from who you, who you are um, jumping into this stuff. Because I know for a lot of people, proof of stake, if you're investing in it, makes more sense than proof of work because proof of work requires so much attention and detail. And from my own personal experience, I can tell you proof of work when you try and do it on scale is a massive headache. Um, especially when, oh, yeah, especially imagine. when you're the only person doing it, my goodness, there, there's a lot of software that can right. help you. Um, but at the same time, oh, it is, it is a headache to deal with. Yeah. Uh, I've heard, uh, Owning a mining, uh, like a mining pool is kind of like uh, trying to maintain a cluster computer, right? You, you, any node can go down and like you have to start figuring out all kinds of problems. Like, oh, wait, which one actually went down and like like what, what, what actually made it went down? Yeah, I heard it's pretty complicated. Yeah, um, the, it's like a whole nother market because you, you have all these proof of work um, mineable coins, um, that are listed and they all vary in their rewards. They all vary in their block times in their block size. Um, and obviously their price dictates a lot of it too. So one day you're mining Ethereum and you do pretty good. And then all of a sudden it's worth a lot less than Zcash. And then you need to switch your miners over to Zcash just to maintain the same profitability and then they fluctuate like that every single day. And then you start having to watch not only the prices in the markets, but then you have to start watching the hash power in the markets. How many people are mining mm -hmm. this coin versus another coin? Is this increasing in difficulty really quickly? Are people right, sense. Um, mining it less? So is it going down in difficulty? Um, are you making more or less coins versus higher and lower price? Um, it's something that can definitely drive you crazy. <laughs> and then you get into the hardware and, and then the hardware is just a different story. I mean, you have to be able to afford it and set it up and know how to maintain it. Um, but you got to also know that you got maximum probably two years of efficiency on that hardware before it becomes obsolete. Whereas like in 2017, early in 17, a, two th a, a 1070 would kick ass at mining Ethereum Today, a 1070 will barely get me anything. I have to have like six 1070s to make something, and it's not even a lot. Um, so there's a there's a push, obviously, for creating better uh, mining rigs, GPUs, ASICs, and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's just a headache to manage all that and have to liquidate and buy new equipment all the time and reset up equipment and watch the markets so right. <laughs> right 
yeah, I guess uh, you bring up a good point that yeah, proof of work is pretty have a pretty high entrance too. Um, yeah, I, w I wonder what what can solve some of these problems. Uh, I'm not very uh, knowledgeable about how the XLM ledger and XRP ledger works, but right. I think there's only a few hundred nodes running, which is why they process transactions faster. Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure if, like, all of us start validating for XRP, XLM, and their speeds are going to go down. It's it's yeah. interesting. I, I think if I remember correctly, XRP or Ripple, the company, they own the majority of the nodes and they own a majority of the XRP, um, which is the two reasons why most people hate ripple so much um and they've put in their time yeah, yeah in, in their timeline they've put out that they're going to decentralize that over time and spread out the nodes and spread out the xrp um but th what they have going for them is that they're extremely fast like less than four seconds i think their record was like two seconds extremely fast and that is that's always been the thing that's got me to invest a little bit an XRP, just knowing that as an asset, it is valuable from a remittance standpoint. And a lot of people missed out on that when Ripple went from 30 cents to three and a half dollars, which is an insane um, increase in value. Um, just simply people right. missing out on it because they don't like it. It's kind of a poor way to look at it. But at the same yeah, at the same time, Ripple's got some competition in Bitcoin now. Uh, now that the Lightning Network is live and is gaining a lot of traction really quickly, um, I think they have, if I remember correctly, um, transaction per second, uh, anywhere between like a hundred thousand and a million transactions per second, which blows away Visa, which blows away Ripple. Um, insanely fast and i've used it before it's ridiculous you're sending bitcoin in milliseconds um right yeah it's uh, yeah right that's amazing i i, I didn't know it processed a, a million transactions a second uh, or it's capable of that yeah i didn't know that was a thing it's it's wow. brilliant technology um what they did and i kind of knew this would eventually happen i just didn't know how it was going to happen but what they did is they put a layer on top of bitcoin like they can do with any other blockchain. They just put a layer on top of it. And this layer, the Lightning Network that exists on top of Bitcoin, if you use it, um, instead of putting a single transaction on the blockchain, they put a payment channel on the blockchain. And what they do is they open this payment channel between person A and person B. And for an allotted amount of time, you can send as many bitcoins as you want in that payment channel until it closes and then they take that that recorded ledger of payments in that channel and they put that payment channel or the ledger of that payment channel on the blockchain instead of that single transaction so the scalability of bitcoin when you use that layer the lightning network um goes up right far far ex more exponentially than any other blockchain and what they're doing right now um mm -hmm. which is incredible technology you'll probably see them roll that out for other blockchains in the future but i, I, I heard starbucks uh 
is gonna start accepting Bitcoin using Bok software. So I, I don't know what Bok is uh, using yeah. in terms of uh, their scaling uh, solution, right? But I, I can imagine it being Lightning or some, some something along the line. They, they very well will probably use something like Lightning because it's easy to open up a payment channel and keep it open for very extended periods right. of time. And then it, it makes Bitcoin super fast and super cheap. Um, right. So I, I could definitely see Starbucks doing that. I know that they were talking about having a token native to Starbucks that would serve as a loyalty system. Because um, you know how they have like those gold stars you earn at Starbucks and you get enough gold stars, you get a free drink or something like that. Oh, yeah. 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 I think oh, they're trying to yeah, be... retrofit that system with a token. They've talked about that before, and I assume that's the direction they're going. Hmm. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. Yeah, and then they're not the only company for sure, but you got like you know, the backed exchange um, that's really getting delayed right now, but has plans to come out. And then Fidelity's offering. Um, institutional custody i think right now um, oh yeah. yeah i think they're live yeah i think they're live with some select companies um but yeah they're live and they have their stuff going on and then the sec came out and said that um, a bitcoin etf will be approved in a matter of time um we just don't know right. when that's going to happen and what ETF that'll be, but a lot of people have been waiting for that, so it's going to happen at some point. Could happen in 2019. And, and I don't know if I've, if you saw the podcast between a, like the fidelity and someone, but I I read the transcript where the the fidelity digital asset president, I think that that's who it was. Um, he he was saying how they surveyed like a few hundred institutions and which range from like hedge funds to uh smaller smaller guys to like like full size like uh financial institutions and actually 20 percent of them said uh they already allocate a small portion of their portfolio to digital asset and they want to expand on that right right so right so so i thought that was really uh interesting yeah they'll i'm sure they'll expand on it um they got a launch first, though, and there's a lot of leg room to go. There's a lot of growing pains they're going to have to go through. Um, the The major issue is scalability. Um, Ethereum is far and beyond the most popular platform to build on, um, even beyond building your own private blockchains. Um, Ethereum is still the go-to, right. and Ethereum has serious scalability issues that they're still trying to solve. Um, because right. you can't have uh, Bank of America shut down and because CryptoKitty spiked in volume one day. <laughs> you, 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 yeah, yeah, you can't have Facebook shut down because uh, CryptoKitties is, has too high a trading volume. Like That's a real-life issue right now, and it, it'd be way too silly for that to be how our wor world operated. So they do have a lot of growing room right. to go. Um, but... With that, um, they'll get there. Again, it's just a matter of time. 
um, who knows when it's going to really happen. It could happen this year. It could happen in a couple of years. I, I know we've talked about um, arbitrage trading. Oh, you were talking about um, the triangle thing on Binance. Oh, right. right, yeah. Do you remember what pairs those were? Oh, yeah, I, I was looking at the... So, so this was before Coinbase launched XRP, so I'm not sure if the same bot is over there, but... So I was monitoring the 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 order book of uh, XRP USD coin because I heard there that that's one of the simpler ways for people to buy XRP right so if someone wanted to buy XRP they can get USD coin from Coinbase for no fee and then they can send it to Binance and buy it off the USD coin pair so I was like okay so I I checked the XRP USD coin pair and there's a a single bot that has like 50k XRP like a, a small cell wall like that's about one percent ha about half a percent above the market price right and then so i so i was wondering uh so, so i was tracking his position and he his price keeps changing according to like the xrp usdt the the, the tether pairs price so so what was happening was uh whenever someone who decides to buy say like five thousand dollars or xrp he would he would buy out the tiny tiny orders in front of him and then he would reach that person's order of like 50k xrp sell wall and then he would get get the uh uh above market price uh xrp right so he he already made a small profit and then he would sell it on the us uh tether pair and then convert the tether back into usd coin so he always makes like this this small gain in a in a triangle right yeah that's that's interesting right. um i might play with that a little bit and see how that works i i know with usdc and usdt um tether and coinbase's usd coin they're they're both tied to the dollar so i'm not sure how much right. of a triangle that'll create um <laughs> no no it's yeah. very tiny it's like it's like the Binance fee is 0.1%. So I, I see his order about 0.3% above market right. price. <laughs> like 0.3, above market price. Yeah, so he only gets like 0.2%, 0.1%. See, where I, I have done arbitrage in the past, and I always do it in small amounts because it's really dangerous to do it in large amounts unless you can guarantee that you're going to get your money. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely right. very risky. Uh, I've done it by hand, and yeah, if, it is risky. Right. Um, if you if you go to Coin Market Cap, um, you can pull up all the exchanges for different currencies, um, and you can pull up all the exchange pairs. Um, for someone that likes arbitrage, it is a fantastic place to look at the prices when things get volatile, because when prices right. spike, it's not the whole world evenly buying or selling one thing you're having one currency and one economy that's usually spiking it or dumping it. And a lot of the time you can play off that price and you can double, triple, quadruple your money um, overnight by, by finding those right opportunities. Um, problem is when they're very low volume, um, you usually get those discrepancies in price and they don't last very long because as soon as someone trades on it, the arbitrage opportunity goes away. So 
right. it's one of those things you have to act on really, really yeah. quickly. Right. Yeah. You definitely need uh, money and your uh, you like the the timing window, right? And and especially I I've actually done similar things where I, I try to filter out the exchanges that have too low of a volume because I know like someone could easily act before me and. I just sent the money to that exchange for no reason, right? right? So, yeah. And uh, another problem I get is, say, uh, the arbitrage pair is different. Say you send, like, Ethereum to this exchange to, to like, say, buy Litecoin, but there is no... But, but the Litecoin pair was, like, say, it was a Litecoin to Tether pair, but the, but, but the exchange you came from was, like, Ethereum to Bitcoin pair. So... When the pairs are different, the price could also be like more different. But so you have to somehow mathematically, uh, like, uh, uh, like convert it back to the initial coin you came with, which is somewhat of a hassle. If if the, that that was right, the case. it it's definitely a hassle, regardless. Um, it's, it's made it easier for me though, to have multiple accounts on multiple exchanges. Um, and then I'll play with that stuff within certain limits with smaller amounts. Um, when I, when I do see an opportunity, when all of a sudden you see volatility in the market, um, but the more, uh, accounts you can open with exchanges that uh, typically see volume in different currencies, those are usually the best opportunities because there's some really, really small exchanges like Ether Delta or or La LA token or whatever. I, I've used those exchanges before mm-hmm. for arbitrage and they work, but they're very, very slow and they scare you a little bit. Um, because right. it's very rare. Yeah, but it's I very would, rare you'll see an opportunity I, I, between like Bittrex and Binance, for example. Oh yeah, yeah. The the bigger exchanges usually they even have bots running on them doing like arbitrage. So usually there's no way to uh get ahead of the the, the bots. But yeah, I, I understand. I understand the the slowness of the <clears throat> exchanges because I've tried to arbitrage more with uh, uh Lumens and XRP, and I remember uh, although the transaction time is like few seconds, and but the exchange itself takes a a while to process the payments like right. few minutes i remember sending it to like another exchange and waiting like a whole five minutes to see xrp pop up and i was like wait what this this exchange sucks my <laughs> like right see right. so yeah there's definitely yeah it's yeah it's definitely tough to execute on those but if you can find a pair with like bitcoin for sorry not bitcoin with like ripple for example or litecoin which is pretty fast um then usually you can move a little bit quicker um but that right, and exactly. again that starts limiting your pairs and everything um but the mm-hmm. the goal is to find with with the big 10 and the top 10 like bitcoin litecoin ethereum if you can trade against those you can generally well, you can generally find better deals because everything is usually paired to those guys um so right the of those, Litecoin is probably the fastest. Um, and then if you have an exchange that uses a Lightning Network, that'd be fantastic. But I don't really think you do. But yeah, it it's slow. Wait, there are exchanges that 
Oh, no, not thing. yet. I don't think there's um, – I haven't seen one yet that uses Lightning Network. That would be awesome, but that's a whole different integration oh, they have to do. Yeah, that would, that would literally uh, – <laughs> the arbitrage people would go crazy on, on that. Probably. Right? You'd probably see a lot more volume for sure because it would move a lot faster. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I imagine if, say, like all these big exchanges adopted Lightning, then the Bitcoin price would be very even ac across these exchanges. Oh, yeah. It, it You'd probably see that level out in the future when it gets faster and it's more integrated and it's traveling more right. evenly. But until you get to that point, you have um, very spotty um, jumps and declines in, in volume for stuff like Bitcoin because it it's just not synchronized worldwide. If the Korean won starts trading Bitcoin more than the US dollar, you're going to see a higher premium in South Korea than you will in the United States. Um, obviously, you right. get the same stuff sense. going on like with Venezuela and you've had it in Iraq and Argentina where you get 8,000, right. 9,000, in Iraq's case, $20,000 Bitcoin in a bear market simply because there's a premium on it. And worldwide right. no one's buying bitcoin they're selling it but in this one little country it's spiking like crazy mm -hmm. right yeah so the arbitrage opportunities they're all over the place but it, it again requires a lot of detailed time and attention and you got to move fast yeah tnz um awesome having you on the podcast i don't want to take up too much more of your time i think i asked you every everything i was curious about and had a great conversation. I love talking crypto. It's always fun talking to someone else that's interested in crypto and tech in general and had a good time. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah. And yeah, I love talking about this stuff too. So anytime. Yeah, hit me up anytime. Okay. Thank you. All right, man. See you later.